What does it mean to be made in the image of God? I don't know if that just inspires you like it inspires me seeing that. I have watched that video at least, I kid you not, conservatively a hundred times. <clears throat> I still can't get over it. Watching God's creative ability, watching God's amazing creation and realizing that every single person that I meet and every single person that I see was created in that way, with a purpose and by design. The main thing today is that the value of every human being is not determined by who you are, by who created you. As we begin looking at the Bible, the very first sentence of the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the very first characteristic the Bible introduces us to in God is that of a creator. It's amazing. Uh, see, if you go down the list, it said on day one, God creates the heavens and the earth. God creates water and light. Day two, God creates a sky with water above and below. Day three, God creates a land and separates it from water. The first life appears in the form of vegetation. On day three. Day four, God creates the stars and the moon. Day five, God creates life in the sea. God, day six, God creates the land animals, then creates humans in his own image. And then on day seven, God rests. And in Genesis 1:27, it says this: God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You know, when I was a kid, I always wondered what it meant to be made in the image of God. I always wondered if that meant that God had two arms and two legs, ten fingers, ten toes, if he looked human. I, I, I obviously, I honestly did that. And uh, that, that may be possible. I don't know. I've never seen him. But it's not likely. See, I was doing what many people do. Instead of God creating me in his image, I was creating him in mine. And that's what a lot of people do. We, we, we create God in our own image. Uh, that's what people do naturally. For example, someone says, well, I'm a hot-tempered idiot who can't control his mouth, and therefore God must be that way too. Um, uh, I think whatever I'm doing, whenever I'm doing whatever I want is okay, so, so God's okay with it too. You know, um, well, I don't think that this or that is wrong, and therefore God doesn't think it's wrong either. See, people, people have been doing that since the beginning of time. And we have to remember that we are created in God's image, not God created in ours. He is the given, we are the reflection, so to say, not vice versa. And once you get a hold of that concept, you understand the gospel a whole lot more, that we are, not, that, that we are created in his image, not him in ours. And therefore, what he says is what we adapt to, not what we say he adapts to. All right? But what does it really mean to be created in the image of God? I hope that you all will enjoy today, because preparing for this just inspired me incredibly. The first thing that it means to be made in the image of God, and maybe this is the first point that maybe, maybe you guys don't need to hear anything else, some of you. Maybe today, this is the only thing you need to hear, is that God spent time on you. God spent time on you. On you. If we go to Psalm 139, 13 through 18, it says this the psalmist speaking to God, for you created my inmost being. Think about this video as I'm reading this. 
Uh, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Think about that. Think about that. How precious to me are your thoughts, God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. You understand that God thinks about you. And God has so many thoughts about you that if you were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. It's amazing. God spent time on you. One of the things that I love about science is that it shows me God's creative ability. There is no contradiction between science and faith. Those that would tell you don't understand either. Okay, Some of the greatest scientists that laid the foundation of science were some of the most dedicated Christians you've ever seen. Sir Isaac Newton, for example. Blaise Pascal. But what, what, as you were watching that video about how your body was created, how it was woven together, it was nine months and four minutes, or two minutes. There's so many things that God spent time on you. For example, I want to give you just a few facts about you that God spent time on you. In your body, there are 75 trillion cells. Now, we don't even think about concepts of millions and billions and trillions because none of us in here are in the Congress. Okay, those are the only people that think in trillions. It's like, how much money can we spend this week? Those are the only people that think about trillions. The, the word trillion is incomprehensible for people to think about, all right? But 75 trillion cells make up the adult body. And in every one of those cells, every one of them are six feet of DNA. Six feet of DNA with more than two billion specific instructions about you. About you. Not about me. Not about anyone else. About you. Two billion specific instructions detailing your skin color, your hair color, your nose, your eyes, your mouth, your organs, detailing this blueprint of this masterpiece that God is creating. There's 75 trillion cells with six feet of DNA in every cell, with two billion instructions that God handcrafted to make you. Those, those, those uh, instructions are written in the very language of God. There are four bases that make up your DNA, adenine, cytosine, uh, thymine, and guanine. A-C-T-N-G, it's known as the language of God. God has his own four-letter alphabet that he uses to build information of what you would look like. God spent time on you. You are not an accident. You are not here by chance. You are here by his will, by his creative hand, and he does not make junk. Okay? That's the first thing it means to be made in the image of God. See, there are people walking around, maybe even in here, that think they're worthless, that think that they have no value, that think they have no purpose, that they're a big cosmic, cosmic accident, one of the lucky ones to make it off the top of the pond, and I'm here to tell you that that is wrong. God spent time on you. He spent so much time on you 
He must be valuable. I love Psalm 139. Every time I start feeling depressed or purposeless, whatever, go to Psalm 139. The second thing that we learn about being made in the image of God. As if that were not enough. We just go home right now knowing that. But, it's, but wait, there's more. All right. We, unlike all the parts of creation, are to model God's behavior. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. We are to model God's behavior. We are called to judge right from wrong. Check this out. Psalm 96, 13. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Get this. We are part of God's creation. However, we are set apart in that cats, dogs, deer, whales, mosquitoes, coyotes, spiders, you name it. They don't judge right from wrong. They're, they're not on that level. They're not called to do that. The only moral code in the animal kingdom, listen, the only moral code in the animal kingdom is might makes right. The only, the best good in the animal kingdom is to spread your DNA as far and as wide as possible and to prevent others from doing so. That is the only moral good in the animal kingdom. Humans operate on a totally different level. We alone are called to say that this or that is right or wrong. It's part of our calling. That's because we're made in the image of God. That's what God does and therefore that's what we need to do. But how... Are we supposed to know what's right and wrong? How are we supposed to know? Well, what pop culture tells us, I read an article about this this week that almost made me sick. It said that truth is inside you and you're supposed to find it. And when you find it, it is your truth. And every other person does the same thing. Well, it sounds wonderful until it doesn't. What happens when one person's truth butts up against another? What happens when a rioter in Wisconsin whose personal truth that he must burn down this building butts up against the business owner's truth that he must defend what's his? We saw that played out this week, didn't we? Who's right? The rioter or the business owner? Who's right? Because their truths are are butting up against each other, aren't they? this, this, This generation... This generation here saw the Brett Kavanaugh trials, um, the, the Supreme Court justice hearings. My generation saw something different. My generation saw the Clarence Thomas hearings. How many of you all remember the Clarence Thomas hearings? Okay, when Clarence Thomas was confirmed, yeah, like this entire group was like, who? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's all right. You guys weren't alive at that time. That's fine. But uh, it, during the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearings, a woman named Anita Hill came forward with, with uh, um, sexual abuse allegations against Clarence Thomas. And under cross-examination, uh, her story fell apart. There was no proof for it. There was no proof. Clarence Thomas said, I did not do this. She said, yes, Clarence Thomas did this. And this was in 1991. Well, I remember this situation being presented in my freshman uh, philosophy class at Center College. And, I, and, and the philosophy professor was talk, talking about how do we determine existential truth? How do we determine what something is? And he brought up the Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill hearings, and he said, which one was correct? And I remember one of my classmates raising his hand and said, you know, professor, I think they're both right. Now, you would think that people would start laughing. But instead, the people in my class started clapping. 
as if he'd, he'd postulated some brilliant thesis that mutually exclusive concepts could both be true. I didn't clap, I did a face palm. Because I, I, I would have liked to have said if I, I was 18 years old at the time, if I was 46 years old, I would go back to that classroom right now and I would say, so using your reasoning, I said, you don't even believe that. And if they argue with me, I'll tell you why you don't believe that. Because if your banker tells you that you have zero dollars and you say you have 5,000, you're not going to say, well, I think we're both right. If the mortgage company says you have not been making mortgage payments on your house and we're repossessing it and you say, no, I have been making mortgage payments, you will probably not say, well, I think we're both right. See, only in a classroom could mutually exclusive co concepts both be considered true. In the real world, that doesn't work. So how do we know what truth is? Well, enter the Word of God. We are made in the image of God, and therefore we are called to use the Word of God to determine truth. Not pop culture, not what is cool, not what is easy, not what is expedient, but what the Word of God says. As creatures made in the image of God, we are called to take on God's system of justice, God's system of right and wrong, what He says is right and wrong. As creatures made in His image, we are to do the same. That's one of the things it means to be made in the image of God. Next, we are to value what God himself values. Micah 6.8 says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. He has said what is good, and therefore we are to do this. Why are we supposed to do this? Because that's what God does. God is the image bearer, and we are in his image, and therefore we do what God does. You know, the question is always asked, what's important in life? It seems to be the age-old question. Books and articles and movies seem to dwell on this concept. What are we here for? What are we here to do? What is our purpose? Why are we here? And many writers and philosophers instead have wrestled with this question. And, the, and some of them, like Friedrich Nietzsche, the, the, the atheist um, philosopher, come to despair over it and concluded that life has no meaning and no purpose and he lived and he wallowed in depression and substance abuse his whole life because of it. Well, that's because these people don't understand that being made in the image of God, we are to value what God himself values. We are to value the things that he, uh, that he brings to us when he comes to, for example, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentle self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. That's what God brings to us when he indwells our hearts. We're to value those things because God values those things. We're to value people made in his image. Why? Because God values people made in his image. We're to value people being saved from their sins, um, uh, repenting and turning to him. He values that. That is of utmost importance, importance to him. Therefore, we need to value that. Do you see how this works? As beings made in his image, we are to value what he values. And also, we are to allow ourselves to be broken by the things that break the heart of God. I was uh, a youth minister back in 2006. And in 2005, so Hurricane Katrina hit Pascagoula and, and, uh, at the Gulf Coast, and we did some mission trips down to uh, Pascagoula. And we, uh, we got there on a Saturday, and on Sunday after church, we did what's called the devastation tour. We went down the, um, the, the, the highway that went down the beach uh, through the entire federal disaster area. 
And as we went, I, I had a, we had six vans, 15 passenger vans full of kids. And I was driving one, and I had some, some of the more unruly kids in my van. I always put them in my van because they couldn't walk all over me. These are kids that were, they, they were there for the party. They weren't really there to serve, unfortunately. And they were just kind of laughing, joking, kind of throwing some things and everything like that. Then all of a sudden, the van got silent as we went past house after house. Well, not really houses. Foundations, driveways leading up to nothing, stair, uh, walkways leading to nothing. They looked like grave markers where the foundation, where the houses were completely gone. And there was rubble as far as we could see. And there were people Obviously, the homeowners of their house is kind of standing there, you know, trying to clean up, looking. It, it, it was unbelievable. And the entire van was silent for that entire hour-long drive from Pascagoula to New Orleans. And as we drove into New Orleans, it was a ghost town. And the kids who had been laughing and cutting up as teenagers do, were silent. And one by one, I saw tears, tears, and tears. And I thought to myself, these kids are now feeling what God himself feels. Their, their hearts have been broken by this devastation. They, they're, they're, their hearts have been turned, they're, they're, they are feeling literally what God himself is feeling right now. And I knew they would never be the same again because they were, they were having their hearts broken by the things that break the heart of God. And what, that is why we do mission work. That is why we have an orphanage in India because the plight of orphans breaks the heart of God and therefore should break ours. That's why we do what we do in this world because we are broken by the things that break the heart of God. That's what it means to be made in his image. And the more, the closer you get to God, the more you feel the things that break his heart, breaking you. And you will never be the same. We are not only to value what God himself values, we are to do as God would do. That's what it means to be made in his image. A Christian is a person, listen to this, a Christian is a person who, who does the very things Jesus would do if Jesus was in our shoes. If, if Jesus had my income, how would he spend it? If Jesus was married to my spouse, how would he talk? How would he act? How would he talk to them? Um, if Jesus was the father to my children or mother to my children, how would he raise them? If Jesus had my job, how would he do it? If Jesus encountered my ex, how would he speak to her or him? And so on. That's what a Christian is. And you say, well, I don't know what Jesus would do. Well, it's a, if you want to know what Jesus would do, you have to know what Jesus did. That's how we get in the Word of God. We find out how Jesus treated people, how he did. And that, guys, that is what it means to be in the image of God. I, I one time... One of my favorite fatherhood moments. Um, my, my oldest daughter, Casey, was about eight years old. And I, I was just in her room talking with her. And, 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 I, I, and we were just and, uh, talking, hanging out, nothing special. And I was got ready to go, and I just gave her a hug. And she gave me a hug, and she said, 
Dads will understand this. You dads will understand this, how special this is. And she goes, hmm, daddy, I feel so safe when you hug me. (laughs) I drank in that moment, but I began thinking about it later on. Why did she feel safe? Well, this is why. Because I was two to three times her size. Because I had the means to hurt or kill her with my bare hands. Follow me here. Yet this man who could do serious bodily harm to her would never do so. Because this dangerous human being, three times her size and ten times her strength, loved her with the love that passes understanding. And this comparatively powerful man wasn't, wouldn't hesitate to give his life for her in a heartbeat without thinking twice. That's why she felt safe. She didn't feel safe because I was not dangerous. Because I was not strong, she felt safe because I was so much stronger and bigger and more powerful than her, and she knew she was safe around this man. This is what it means to be made in the image of God, because this is exactly how God is with us. He is more powerful than we could ever imagine, and he would never harm us. Because the love he has for us passes understanding. Because we're made in his image, we go and do likewise. You see how that works? See, God is so much more powerful than us, and yet he defends and protects. He is not, he's not aggressive against us, and therefore, being made in the image of God, we do the same thing for those weaker and more vulnerable than us. That is how God works that is how he is with us and that's for that's how we are with other people you use your strength use your power use your position of influence to defend and to protect not to intimidate or be aggressive or to insult or to endanger or to threaten we use this the way god used towards us see that is what it means to be made in the image of god But the big, the crowning point for me is this. What it means to be made in the image of God is that no person is beyond redemption. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay, that has been the statement of the Christian worldview since Christianity began 2,000 years ago. That no one is beyond redemption. That no one is too far gone. I've often said it in church that Christians are strange people. We really are. The worse you are, the more we like you. Okay, the, the, the worse, the bigger mis- mess you've made out of your life, the biggest, mis- the worst mistakes you've made are that's your redemption is what we celebrate even more. You hear testimonies in here, you hear people that, are, that have overcome addiction or people that have, that have overcome this or that or the other. Man, we throw a party. It's like the church says, however, the, the worse you are, the more we like you. It's crazy. But guys, that's not the way 
our world is thinking right now. As a matter of fact, in the last 10 to 15 years, that narrative, that, that belief has been severely hijacked and the gospel of that, of that no one is beyond redemption, has been hijacked by another thought process. And that thought process is called critical theory. Critical theory is, is, is what is being taught in universities and schools. It is the default worldview of America right now. Uh, if you are not bought into the gospel, then you are probably a critical theory person without even knowing it. Critical theory is, is, is this. It is based on the teachings of Karl Marx. It is Marxism dressed up as social justice. That's what critical theory is. And the, the, what Marx said was that life was a struggle, that there was the class, there was the bourgeoisie, which was kind of the powerful, the upper class, and there was the proletariat, which was the lower class, and life was a struggle between the two classes, and the bourgeoisie were the oppressors, and the proletariat were the oppressed, and therefore he, he advocated violent revolution to, to overthrow the bourgeoisie and allow the proletariat to, be, uh, to, to, to have power. That was basically uh, Marx's thing. Well, what a critical theory says is that there are two types of people in this world. This, but parents, this is, what, this is what's being taught, okay? There are two types of people in this world, that there are oppressors and there are the oppressed. That's what critical theory says. Everybody is in one of those categories. You, there is no neutral ground. You're either oppressed or you're an oppressor. And what critical theory says is that uh, oppressors by nature are defined by immutable characteristics. Your skin color, your, your gender, um, things like that. That it, it is not what you have done, it is who you are that puts you in the good or the bad category. That's what critical theory says. It's not by their actions, okay? You are oppressed or you're an oppressor, not by your actions, but by the your skin color or your, your uh, economic status or, or, or whatever. Sexual orientation. doesn't matter what you say or what you believe. The key, though, is that the oppressed are righteous and good and the oppressors are terrible and bad. So if you happen to be in, of a particular skin color, doesn't matter what you've done, you, if you're in the oppressor category, you're bad. That is what is being taught at universities in public schools. And the, the, the reason I say that, the reason that I bring this up is not to, not to have a sociology class here today. That's not why I'm bringing it up. The reason I bring it up is that it contrasts so starkly with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us is something completely different gospel says does not divide us into categories of oppressors and oppressed it says everyone is created in the image of god and every person has value the only division of people the gospel says is that there are people that are lost and people that are saved not by skin color not by gender not by sexual orientation not by anything like that there's only lost and saved and god and the bible says that he wants all who are lost to be saved you are not beyond redemption critical theory says you are beyond redemption there is no hope for you if you're in this category you are bad we're we'll write you off and therefore we can dehumanize you what the gospel says is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. 
Everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God and are justified freely by the grace, by belief in the grace of Jesus Christ. That is what the gospel says. That's the gospel worldview. So if we, what it means to be made in the image of God is to see value and worth in every single human being, to see past skin color, to see past socioeconomic status, to see past sexual orientation, to see past the sins that people that this world likes to see, and see a person that is either lost or saved and all in need of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel says. That's what the gospel says. And I'm calling the church to move away from this cultural toxicity of critical theory that divides people up by things that they are born with and instead embrace the gospel that said no person is beyond redemption. That all are made in the image of God. All are called to the cross. See guys, the value of every human being is not determined by who you are, but rather who created you. I invite the band to come on back up. Once we as a church get hold of this concept of being made in the image of God, everything changes. Everything changes, the way you act, the, way you, the things you value, the way you spend time, the way you spend money, the way you, you look at people, the way that you, you uh, prioritize. Everything changes because you say, well, I'm made in the image of God. I bear his image, and therefore, I am called to act towards this world the way God acts towards this world. Everything changes. And I pray that every person in here will get a hold of that concept today. You are not here by accident. You are not hopelessly damaged beyond repair. You are called to value what God values, called to act as God acts because your loving Heavenly Father spent time on you. And I pray that this church will get a hold of that. And if you have never accepted your heavenly Father's gift of eternal life, if you have never come to the foot of the cross, if if you have never repented of your sins, if you have been consumed with anger and and, and profanity out of your mouth and, and, and judgment and all this kind of stuff that just wells up in our hearts, if you are dealing with that right now, your heavenly Father through his son, Jesus Christ, is calling you to the cross to say, come and let that go. Let that go. Let my son's sacrifice on the cross, take it away, and let me make you new. Let me make you the way that I originally designed you to be, in my image, doing the things I would do if I were in your shoes. You can't do that on your own. You can only do that through the power of Jesus Christ. If you have never done that, I invite you to do that today. Find a Christian that, that, that you trust. Come, come talk to somebody on staff, an elder, whatever it is, and let us pray with you. Let us, be, let us help you become a follower of Christ this morning. If, you, if, if, if that is something that is good for you, I challenge you to do that today. I want to invite you to stand up and let's sing worship to this amazing creator 
who has created us in his image. He's given us himself, and we return that in the form of